Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Minister of the Environment and Climate Change Catherine McKenna was in Hamilton today to talk about climate change and its impact on the local level. The Doug Ford government has taken back a $3 million grant for a major arts center project in Ancaster. And also, U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer says that the U.S. is working on removing steel and aluminum tariffs for Canada and Mexico. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. One of the issues that's, uh, I know, going to be front and center in the upcoming federal election, which is going to be in October, notwithstanding what we uh, talked about in the from that blogger just a, a little while ago, uh, but climate change is going to be front and center because there are certainly divergent views, uh, not just within the federal government and the opposition parties about climate change and how to proceed, but certainly within uh, the provincial governments, a few of them anyway, uh, we already know about the uh, the lawsuit that uh, Doug Ford and uh, Premier Mo and a couple of others are uh, kicking around right now, trying to uh, stop the uh, the federal government's carbon tax. Well, uh, to that point, uh, we wanted to welcome the minister back to the program. Catherine McKenna, of course, is the uh, federal minister of Environment and Climate Change. Uh, she was with us actually a couple of weeks ago. Uh, to she was doing some visiting here in town and was actually going to do a town hall. She got snowed out. If you remember, the weather was just wicked for about three or four days there. But uh, she's back, and the weather's better, so uh, she's at Hamilton City Hall, actually, meeting with Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger, but uh, taking some time out to talk with us here on the Bill Keller Show. Minister, thank you for the time. It's great to have you with us again today. It's great to be on the show, Bill. Well, listen, first of all, the reason why you're at City Hall is there's a day-long seminar that's going on today, uh, and uh, the reason Hamilton, well, not just because it's your hometown, but also because Hamilton was one of the early signatories on the Global Covenant of Mayors for Climate and Energy. So we've, uh, I guess to paraphrase uh, Mayor Eisenberger's uh, ideas, we've, uh, we've jumped on board with this uh, in the early stages uh, more than a lot of other cities and communities have. Absolutely. So it's great. It's going to be great to see uh, Mayor Eisenberger talk about climate action and Hamilton uh, has been doing a lot uh, to to tackle climate change, and so is the community. Mohawk College uh, with the Joyce Center for Partnerships and Innovation, Net Zero Building. Um, oh, that's the one that the uh, provincial government got the funding for. Well, they got... What a coincidence. It got built under the previous government, but then the new Ford government cut the funding for the yeah. Climate Center, which is intended to help Hamilton and Burlington prepare for the impacts of climate change, make sure that they're building infrastructure uh, that's resilient um, and, you know, taking action to tackle climate change, um, which is unfortunate. A lot of other cuts here as a result of the Ford government, including $17 million in social housing cuts that was going to be upgrades for energy efficiency to help folks who have the least amount of money save money. Um, also, the school board lost money for energy efficiency. City lost money for an electric bus project. So anyway, I am here to talk about climate action and how it can be a win for everyone. Um, we, it's probably people are thinking about taxes. Um, when you file your taxes, every Ontarian will receive their climate action incentive rebate. So we've said it'll no longer be free to pollute. Unfortunately, Premier Ford made it free to pollute again. And so we said that that's just not fair. Pollution doesn't know any borders. We need to take action. But we're giving the money back to people. So they'll have an incentive on the front end to look at how do you reduce emissions through smart thermostats. Now, and and that, is that going to be in effect for this tax year? Like when I go to finally get around to do my taxes, probably mm-hmm. on April 29th? Um, if you do your taxes today, you will get your climate action incentive refund, okay. which is before uh, the price uh, comes in. But look, our plan, we know we need to tackle climate change. Um, uh, I was just at uh, CHCH um, early this morning. I talked to Natalie there, and she said, like, the planet doesn't need us. We need the planet. So we need to be taking action to tackle climate change. 
but we got to do the way that makes life affordable. That's why we're giving money back, more money in, in people's pockets. And we got, we've got to create good jobs and create the, you know, the incentives for clean solutions, um, which are across Ontario. I'm seeing all sorts of companies, big and small, with clean solutions that we need here and, and that we can also export. Well, the the document that I just referred to a little while ago that Mayor Eisenberger signed, and that there are other signatories to this as well, I, I think points out one of the things that you've been talking about for the longest time is that is that climate change and dealing with it is not just a federal government issue. It filters all the way down to all three levels of government. Absolutely. Uh, if you look at where um, carbon emissions come from, 40%, it's estimated, are in the control of cities. So that's why public transportation uh, is really important, making it cheaper, cleaner, faster to go around. We've invested over $250 million, uh, in public transit projects here. But how we build our houses, including you know social housing, um, it's all across the board. And we all need to be working together. And I love coming to Hamilton because everyone gets it. Um, when you look at um, you know businesses here, they're, they want to be more energy efficient so they can save money, reinvest in the business. As I say, Mohawk College, uh, McMaster's doing great things as well. Um, and I've been to schools, the schools, and I talked to kids here. I was at my old school, like Notre Dame by Gage Park. Kids, they're all in. They want to be part of the solution, and they're worried about climate change. Well, the discussion's been going on for quite some time, and uh, we thought at some point maybe there was going to be some consensus. So there are always going to be some people, I guess, that are never going to get on side with this. But uh, there seems to be a pushback, a political pushback, uh, to a lot of the incentives that your government and, and other governments, by the way, have, have tried to initiate over the last little while. Uh, do you get the feeling sometimes you're swimming upstream? Uh, you know, I, so I, unfortunately, it's conservative governments that are the challenge. They don't seem to understand the huge costs that we're paying for climate change right now. It's It's gone from 500 over, well, I think 400 million a year to over 2 billion, and some events are 2 billion themselves. And if you think about last summer, we had extreme heat, we had forest fires across the West, we had flash flooding. There's a huge cost to that, and it's much more expensive if we wait. Um, and so it's just really unfortunate. But I mean, I, I, when I talk to Canadians, you know, if I talk to Canadians in, in Hamilton, businesses, schools, hospitals, just regular folks, they want us to take climate action, but they want us to do it in a way that makes life affordable, um, that makes sure we're investing in jobs. And I should say, I was very excited to see that um, uh, Minister Baines made announced a um, hundred million dollar federal investment in aluminum and steel and manufacturing. We're here to focus on how do we support businesses and industries, and also how do we do things in a better, more environmentally friendly way. You'd laugh, but I'm calling, looking down at Hamilton Harbor which I love, and I always come walk down here, and Randall Reef, the rehabilitation of Randall Reef, the rehabilitation of the waterfront has been great for the environment, but also for the economy, for the housing market here. So you can, they got to go hand in hand, and it's unfortunate that conservative governments don't understand where people are at. People want a healthy environment. They want clean air. They want clean water. They want to tackle climate change so they don't leave this huge debt, this huge problem to their kids. But of course they want jobs, and then of course they want life to be affordable, and you can do both, and you need to do both. Yeah, but those the, the myths that are out there that are contrary to that are, are the ones that these those groups are hanging on to, and, and frankly, some of those governments as well, is that it ruins the economy, that it's going to cost us more, and then we're not, you know, it's your price of gas is going to go up, this is going to go up, and the, you know, all of a sudden uh, everything is going to become unaffordable. 
we are not the first ones to the race here. I mean, others have also initiated climate change policies, and they've initiated carbon taxing in some way, shape, or form. There's some variations on that theme. And uh, I, I, I know you've probably got the data in front of you, and you've probably memorized this stuff, but the stuff I've read so far, Minister, indicates that uh, what you're proposing here works, and it does not harm the economy. It does. I mean, look, it, it is. So, you know, there's a Nobel Prize winner in economics. We demonstrated it worked. But more practically, the province of British Columbia showed it worked. Um, it has one of the fastest growing economies in the country. Uh, its emissions have gone down. It has a huge clean tech sector. And it's had a price on pollution for a decade. So, I, I mean, I honestly don't understand this. Like, we've got to make good decisions, smart decisions for people, for the environment, and for jobs. And you can do all of that, but it's as if the, the Ford government with other conservatives, including Andrew Scheer in Ottawa, they want to take us back in time to the Harper days, where we didn't care about the environment and our economy wasn't growing. Like, we have the fastest growing economy now. We've got um, an unemployment rate lowest in decades, and we're also taking climate action. That is what people want. That is what people expect. And of course, at the end of the day, we need to position ourselves for the economy of the future. It's the countries that have figured out the clean solutions that are going to be the winners. And you know what? Their people are going to be the winners because they're going to be able to walk in the Hamilton Harbor front and be proud of what they see there. As I say, I want to swim there one day. Um, we're going to be proud that we have clean uh, companies with clean solutions across the board from our big companies to our small innovative, you know, more innovative, uh, you know, solutions. So there's a way to do this, but we have to come together. And I saw this in the United States. When Donald Trump said he was pulling out of the Paris Agreement, we just started working with states, cities, and businesses in the U.S. So if the Ontario government and conservative governments aren't going to take climate change seriously, we will just continue working with cities like Hamilton and Burlington, with schools, with hospitals, with businesses, because we don't have a choice. Um, and we're just going to get on with things. And, and Canadians will have a choice in the next election between a government that is our government that is committed to climate action, committed to drawing the economy, making sure we're doing things in a way that makes life affordable um, and creates good jobs. And a, government, a, a, a conservative party that has no climate plan that wants to go back to the Harper days, which means they have no plan for the economy. Well, it uh, may ramp up. I, I've received some information, and uh, I'm not sure if you've heard it yet, Minister, as well, that uh, sometime in the next few days the Ford government is going to announce, uh, I think it's like a, a an information tour. I don't know how they're going to phrase this. I think it's a make pollution free again tour. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, whatever phrase they're going to do. I'm, I, I don't know what sticker he's going to put on front of the podium when they make this announcement. But basically, I, I'm told that he's he or somebody, probably the environment minister and others, are, are going to be going around the province basically saying that everything you just said here is, is totally off base, and his plan, which whatever that might be, is better, and that we should support him with his uh, well, his his legal action, the, the court action that he's taking right now. So it's 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 going to get I, I think ramped up here in the next little while. Is the government prepared for this? Uh, I've been talking to Canadians since we were elected, and I I did I've been started this summer. I've been crisscrossing Ontario to make sure we get the facts. In. It is really important that people understand what we're doing. That if we're you know making sure we do putting a price on pollution in a way that makes life affordable, that they understand the investments they are we are making with cities. Um, in public transportation, in energy-efficient social housing, in cleaning up places like the, the Hamilton waterfront. 
um, so that they have the facts. Because we have folks that want to, you know, say things that are simply not true. Um, and that's a problem because we need to move forward and Canadians need to have confidence in what we're doing and that we're, and we have the, the evidence is clear. We're growing our economy, we're creating jobs, uh, good jobs, and we're also tackling climate change. And look, we also have fought hard on a whole bunch of other fronts, getting the new NAFTA. Um, we announced $2 billion to support the aluminum and steel industry. We're working very hard to remove unfair uh, steel and aluminum tariffs, uh, you know, that the United States have brought in. We're working across the board for Canadians. It's interesting, because uh, I don't want to paint everybody with the same brush. Uh, and i got to tell you, I was amazed, and I think a lot of other people were amazed. And going back to the uh, days so a year and a half or so ago when Patrick Brown was still the leader of the party, uh, the Progressive Conservative Party here in Ontario, and you may remember his People's Platform, I think is what he called it, and he bought into your, your plan, the carbon taxing plan, and said, yeah, well, you know, it's, it is going to work. And he looked forward to the idea about the revenue that's going to be fo- flowing through. Uh, obviously, Premier Ford has dumped that right now. How do you get around that obstacle? Like, I, I, in other words, you need to do an end run around the government here in Ontario to try to make sure that you can reach the people and those rebates reach the people. How does that happen? Well, I mean, I must say it is ironic that many of the folks, including the Environment Minister for Ontario, who were, you know, ready to run under Patrick Brown, who had a price on pollution, now are desperately fighting it and spending $30 million of taxpayer money to fight it in court instead of fighting climate change. How about $30 million? I'm sure Hamilton would be pretty excited about the investments, $30 million and all the things that they've cut. Um, but look, as I say, I'm just going to continue doing what we're doing. We're going to continue working with cities, making investments that improve lives, that are also good for the environment. Uh, I'm going to continue working with businesses. I've got a roundtable today to talk to folks from uh, the steel and aluminum sector. Um, I'm going to continue working with schools, uh, with hospitals who want to be more energy efficient, with small businesses because they know that they can save money. That's the point. I mean, being more energy efficient means that you're saving money, also doing right by the planet. And, you know, that's, this is the way the world is going. We have no choice. Going back to Natalie, who I met at CHH, like we have one planet and we need to be doing everything we can to make sure that we protect it especially for future generations. It's not all about us. It's about you know, our kids and grandkids and what they deserve and not passing on the biggest debt because the biggest debt we could pass on is not acting on climate change. They're going to pay the price of extreme weather um, and we can't be doing that. We need to be serious about climate action. We've got to be very serious about jobs and the economy. I had a discussion with some of the folks over at the McMaster Automotive Research Center called the Mark. Well, you know, it's right across the road from us here in the west end of the city. Uh, And I was amazed to find out about the initiatives that they have done in working with the federal government, I guess, to reduce emissions. I I mean, obviously, you know, the initial part of that conversation is always, well, electric cars, electric uh, public transit, etc. And we may still get there, I guess, at some point. But in the meantime, there have been huge advances made in reducing pollution and reducing carbon footprint, uh, whether it's hybrid vehicles, but even with the emission engines right now, uh, and and that's a no a problem or a program rather that the federal government has helped fund. So you're not just working with cities; you're working with industry as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have to be working with industry. Uh, we just launched our low carbon economy fund, where we're helping support businesses to reduce emissions with big game changing things, and also not as exciting, but you know, chillers replacing your furnace. Those things make a huge difference. 
And I just don't get it. Like, I think it's extremely strange that you have conservative politicians that are fighting progress. Like, look at, we know that the auto sector, just take that. We know the autom- autom- uh, automotive sector is going to change. We have a huge opportunity because we have amazing folks, um, amazing, you know, manufacturers that know how to build the parts. That, you know, the, you look at the university and colleges that are graduating students who know how to innovate, who know how to do things in a smarter way. That's where we want to be. That's where the jobs of the future are. And we are the ones finding those solutions. And we're going to continue to support folks so they can do that. Um, because that's good. That's good for the planet. But it's also good for our economy. And that's what I want to see. And you go talk to young people about what kind of jobs they want. They want jobs that, you know, that are going to be good, of course. But they also want jobs that are going to do right by the planet and on the cutting edge of innovation. Anyway, I'm super optimistic. Like, look, is it hard that we have conservative governments that want to go back in time and not do anything and make pollution free? I mean, that is unfortunate. But everyone else understands we've got to move forward. Well, uh, some interesting initiatives. Uh, I know that you'll be uh, meeting uh, with the mayor a little bit later on. Also, you're up at Mohawk College. I guess you're going to be talking to some of the students there uh, and talking with that. And that should be a rather enlightening experience as well. Minister, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. I am always happy to be back in Hamilton. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks again, Minister. Bye-bye. That's uh, Catherine McKenna, of course, Minister of Environment and Climate Change, who uh, is in town today. That's going to be an interesting uh, face-off, I guess, uh, if in fact the provincial government uh, starts uh, with their aggressive campaign. And this is what I've heard they're going to do. The announcement, I'm told, is going to be sometime later on this week. Uh, kind of a, a talking tour, a listening tour, I guess, uh, about trying to fight what the federal government is doing right now with uh, their carbon taxing situation. And uh, fascinating to find out just how that's going to play out, uh, with not just here in Ontario, but with other provinces too, because there are a couple of others who have signed on to that fight and I know that I and an awful lot of other people are, are more than a little upset that the government, uh, of course, they haven't even done their budget yet, but have already allocated $30 million for that court fight. Uh, that's, yeah, our tax dollars to fight something like that. Anyway, that's uh, a discussion that is not going to end today. There's a lot more to come on that in the weeks and months ahead, certainly. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. The Doug Ford government has taken back a $3 million grant that had been previously promised by a f- the previous government for the major arts project in Ancaster on Wilson Street. I'm sure you've seen the construction, or at least the beginning of it anyway, uh, the uh, deconstruction, I guess, of the old school there. Uh, anyway, according to uh, area MPP Donna Skelly, the cash was never actually accounted for in the budget. That's uh, the story they're giving us. Lloyd Ferguson, of course, is the counselor for Ward 12, which is in Ancaster, which is Ancaster, as a matter of fact. He joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show on CHML. Lloyd, thank you for the time today. appreciate you jumping in. Well, thanks for having me on, Bill, to explain the story. Well, first of all, just how upset are you right now? I'm just spitting mad. I, I can't believe that they would do this to us. This is just political nonsense at its worst. It's, it's conservatives versus liberals again. It's blaming the other guy. And, of course, the arts community is the victim on this. Um, you know, I had an opportunity uh, to speak to Tim McMeekin, and uh, we've been trying to follow up our staff to uh, get the money transferred over the last number of months. And I got a little suspicious because our staff couldn't find the right person to get the transfer set up. And uh, so uh, I did have an opportunity to call Tim McMeekin to find out what the status was, and he put me on to the... Uh, and she was very helpful, the former chair of the Treasury Board, and she confirmed for me that this did get cabinet approval. when it, it, She was chair of Treasury, so it's well-minuted in the Treasury minutes that this was approved by the Treasury Board. 
It did get royal assent. It was in the 2018 budget, and the source of funding was identified as cultural heritage and tourism, which, by the way, was the ministers uh, that announced the, uh, the withdrawal yesterday, which confirms, for me at least, that they did have a source of funding. So I don't, I'm not sure what's going on other than, it, uh, you know, this government seems to be attacking municipalities, and, um, and, and they're constantly blaming the previous guys rather than lead and move forward. Uh, I don't know what our community is supposed to do. I mean, they, they went out and uh, fulfilled their obligation. Um, Bob Wilkins headed up a great fundraising group with um, Colin Lapsley uh, from the Ancaster Center for Performing Arts, and uh, we set a goal for the community to raise three million bucks. Well, they didn't do that. They raised three point seven. Uh, so the budget is about is right now sitting at sixteen million dollars with the three million from the province. Uh, we've already spent $1.7 million, uh, as you mentioned in your opening, that you can see the construction going on on the forecourt right up against Wilson Street, where we spent $700,000 doing an archaeological dig, which is required under the Act before you can start new construction. And uh, that was a stage four archaeological, which is the most difficult, but it's done, and it's certified, and we're good to go. It's now out for tender. The pre-qualification closes next week. We'll shortlist the contractors. We're going through a pre-qualification process for this project after our learnings on the Greg Meyer Arena where we need to pre-qualify contractors on these, these very specialized projects. This is building a 450-seat theater and renovating an old school. Yeah, well, you, you had to learn that lesson the hard way with the Greg Meyer Arena. But yeah, so we're, we're trying so hard to get this right. And the intent was to close it sometime in April. Uh, we got a little bit of good luck with Bill 66 proposing that we don't have to use only unionized carpenter contractors. We can open up to the entire community to get better pricing and, uh, and more competition. So everything was moving ahead. I intended to have a, a sod-turning ceremony sometime in June. Now that's all at risk. Uh, I'm, I'm currently um, out of the office but uh, one of the things I'll do when I first get back is meet with our facility staff and our procurement staff. I would still like to go ahead and close the tender just so we have a hard number that we have to reach for and then scramble to, to see what I can do to try to replace this funding. But I'm so disappointed in, in our, my MPP. I mean, I, I, I live in Donna's riding, and she didn't, you know, her job is, in my view, her job is to look after the interest of Hamilton. She's the member of the uh, party in power at the province, and she didn't defend this for me. You know, their, their whole argument is they got a $13 billion deficit. Well, this is a one-time $3 million. That's a spit in the ocean. And so it's all sending a message back uh, that they're going to blame the liberals for everything that happened beforehand. Well, they've been doing that. I mean, and governments do that. I get that. And well, that's, that's, I told you, that. You've, you've been around long enough, Lloyd. You understand that's how the political game is played. But they've misrepresented the position on this, and this is the thing that I think I find most reprehensible, is this, I, and I don't know if they're just saying, wow, those, those liberals, they just made a, a hollow campaign promise. Uh, you just articulated the process that went on. Uh, yeah, they promised it. it. It was in the budget. It was tr approved by the Treasury Board and by the Cabinet. And a funding source was identified. What else did they want them to do? Well, I don't know. It, it's, well, you didn't have the transfer agreement. Well, we've been trying to do that for the last number of months, and that's handled at staff level. Once the politicians make their decision, whether it's municipal, provincial, or federal, you go ahead and execute the agreements. And uh, our finance staff has been trying very hard, and I tried to get Donna to intervene in this. Can you tell me the name of the person that we should be calling at tourism 
to uh, get the transfer done, and she couldn't help me on that. Uh, you know, uh, and and so she se- seemed to be against the project right from the start. Uh, you know, this is the second major project that she supported canceling, which was the other one was the York Street housing project, but the land swap with Infrastructure Ontario at the old HPH site and, and switching some property over to Mohawk College. That was a macro deal that was done. It was great for the province and great for the city. And, of course, they killed that project, too, in Hamilton. And Don has been a big advocate for a long time now to kill the LRT. Now, uh, I'm not sure she's got the support of her premier on that, but... Uh, it just worries me what's happening, and and just throw the arts community to the to the to the wolves. Who cares? And, and we've been working on this since 2011. Uh, yeah, you know, to go out and raise 3.7 million dollars in the community should send a pretty clear signal that the community's behind this. And there's a big demand for the arts in in all of Hamilton, particularly West Ancaster. But you know, we would draw from the West Mountain, Dundas, Westdale into this facility. Uh, we had eight tenants all lined up to go in to this facility, and and including the um, you know Lancaster Theater. Uh, Boris Brott was going wanted to do some shows in there. We had the Dundas Valley School of Art that wanted to come in. The Ancaster Senior Achievement Center wanted to start put on shows in there. There's a long list, and this all gets thrown to the walls for political purposes. Well, it's 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 galling that they would actually do something like this and pick a project like this. And this is this is all about bottom line. I mean, they've done the same thing with the autism program. They've done the same thing with the uh, the cap and trade program. All they do is, if it was a liberal program, we're going to eliminate it and uh, to heck with everybody else. We don't care what really the implications are. Uh, cause, listen, because I've witnessed this. I mean, you know, I, the area businesses, and you know this, Lloyd, area businesses actually had little money jars uh, set up there for you know, just to make cash donations toward this project over the last number of years. Oh, and yeah, and those, those things add up. This was yeah. something the community was behind. Yes, there was some federal money and some provincial money. So, well, I guess that's not there anymore. But it's it's something that everybody was on side with. And, and as you say, you were already around first base on this and, and you know, doing the bases. I mean, this is not just a concept. This was a home run. This, 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 it, was, it got done. Our vision of what we wanted, and we got the property acquired, we got the rezoning done, we got the detailed design done, we got the allergic archaeological done, and, and you're right, I mean, the Ancaster Rotary Club put in $100,000, the BIA put in $100,000, just as two examples of groups that stepped up. A number of private citizens, and, and uh, I don't want to say their names because I'm not sure they want it out on the air, but they, they kicked in hundreds of thousands of dollars. $3.7 million from the community because we want this. And they throw it out, just toss it aside for political purposes so they can blame the other guys. That is absolutely unconscionable and ridiculous. Well, I just, I've got emails, a lot of emails, as you and I are having this discussion right now. Uh, and uh, one of them from Charlotte just says here, please tell me the point of electing somebody from the governing party when it seems clear that all they're going to do here is absolutely no good. Uh, where the hell is Donna Skelly on this issue? Well, I, I think Lloyd has already articulated where that is. But you and and again, that's part of the politics game too. And well, I, I heard, I heard anecdotally. Got it, I'm sure you've heard this story. But for the sake of our listeners, I mentioned yesterday the only time that Doug Ford's uh, even come into the city here was a few months ago, and he had a private meeting behind closed doors with business leaders. I was told by somebody who attended that meeting that he said, "Look, at you guys aren't going to get anything from us as long as you keep electing NDP members." Well, which tells yeah. me that his his interest is not in governing; it's all about partisan politics. And, and of course, uh, you know our representative uh, for 
uh, Ancaster, Dundas, Westdale, and West Mountain is NDP this time, and that may have played a role in this thing. I don't know. I talked to Sandy yesterday. She says she'll raise this in the House, but I'm not sure But the majority government uh, she'll be able to do much. But uh, what, it, So I don't know where the solution is and, and how we get this funded anyway. Um, you know, Bob Wilkins has very generously offered to go back to the community again, but this is three million bucks, and we're probably going to be short a little bit anyway, and that's why we put it out for tender. Let's get the hard actual number and then figure out how we can close the loop. And But we weren't far from the end. Uh, you know, we have uh, over $16 million that's committed now, and I feel comfortable that we can bring it in at that. But you don't know until you slit the envelopes, and uh, that's why it's over tender. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Here's a little, you know, inside baseball information. When there's a change of government, I, I suppose, you know, if, if people are going to be narrow-minded, and, and, and some of them are clearly, this is the sort of thing you get. But I, I can remember when the Harper government took over in uh, 2006 uh, in that election and defeated a liberal government, and there were promises made by that liberal government. Uh, for funding announcements, including Randall Reef, by the way, we just talked to the environment minister. But to their credit, they maintained the funding for the Randall Reef. Uh, David Sweet, who was the MP for that area that you represent, Lloyd, uh, was obviously you know, a, a guy who fought for the city. He fought for the steel industry. He fought for the funding for a number of projects that you tried to spearhead up there. Uh, so there is a time when you have to say, okay, I, this is my political party, but I was voted by these people and I have to do what's best for these people. I don't see that as a priority from what they're doing here. Absolutely. Remember the uh, on Longwood Road of the um, Innovation Park, the um, the lab, the steel lab. Yeah. Was brought in. David Sweet brought that in, and that was a liberal initiative, and and uh, it, it wasn't even in his writing, but he saw himself. Hey, I'm the with the party in power. I'm the uh, conservative representative for the city, and I'm going to do this for them. And and in part of Ancaster's in Donna's writing. Um, as I said, I live in Donna's writing. And and I just don't understand the politics of this, other than blame the other guys. And and uh, you know, I, I think I was quoted in the spec today, and I was angry when I said it. But uh, I, you know, she's going to get the reputation of being a project killer. She's going to she's going to shut projects down rather than advocate for Ham, for Hamilton. And um, so. I'm. I'm just. I, I guess you can sense the anger in my voice. And well, what's, yeah, what's yeah but look, I got to tell you. <laughs> From what I've heard and what I've seen from social media and what I've seen from emails, uh, all you are doing is reflecting the anger that a lot of people in the community are feeling right now. And I know that some of the people that have been involved in this project, fundraising and everything else, are a little guarded in what they're saying right now. But you can tell that they're, they're really ticked off about this, and justifiably so. Yeah. No, and Well, I've talked to Bob, and I've talked to Colin, and I've talked to others, and uh, they're clearly very frustrated now, very angry about it. But uh, you're right, they're trying to take the high road on it as I have to start doing shortly, uh, because i still got to get this thing well, done. Well, because you understand how people are feeling like this. We, we just went out with dinner for friends uh, in that neighborhood uh, uh, last Friday and bragging about the fact that, yeah, just yeah, that's where the art center is going to be, right over there. See, they've already broken ground on it. And, uh, and these people were from out of town. They, that's great. Uh, now we're not so sure. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I'm going to reflect on this. I, I, I'm back in the office on Monday morning with the, Council's back in full gear again on Monday morning, and I'm going to be talking to a number of my colleagues to see what the city can do. And um, uh, I'm also going to have uh, some more conversations with Philomena Tassi and David Sweet to see if the federal government, uh, I mean, we're going to get cap and trade anyway because the federal government's going to impose it on the provinces that don't do it. And, uh, And so can they step up 
now that we've lost this because uh, I know Philomena very much understands the need. And uh, she has already got us $1.5 million, but whether she can come up with some more for us uh, is something that I'll be exploring when I get back to work next week. Listen, we're just out of time here, but I do want to underscore something you talked about at the first part of this interview as you went through this process. Because, uh, again, some of these social media pro- uh, responses I'm getting here are still saying, well, that was just a campaign promise. It was more than that. It went through the proper procedure. The fact that you didn't get procurement may well be a reflection on what the Ford government did after they took office. I don't know that somebody didn't pick up the phone and say, put a hold on that. Uh, we're not sure about that yet. So, well, no, that, that was our decision because we wanted to get pre-qualified contractors after yeah. Greg Mark's Yeah, we so you don't have any problems like the Greitmeyer Arena. Yeah, yeah, and I, we, I thought but, that but was But you did that, Lloyd, let's be clear. You did that with the expectation that the process was going to unfold as it always has. Absolutely. I mean, when you get cabinet and, and treasury board approval and it's in the budget, what else do I need to do with that, uh, that level of government? And, I, you know, it, it, to fall back and say, well, you know, you didn't have a transfer agreement done is baloney. Uh, the, the funding source was identified, and, and once again, it reinforces it when, when the, it was actually the Minister of Tourism who canceled it, um, and, and, and so <laughs> he clearly had it in his budget, and he decided to pull it for political purposes. Well, I know that uh, we've tried to reach out to uh, MPP Skelly's office. I don't know that our producer got a response on that, but we're certainly following that, and we're going to see what we can do. Lloyd, thanks as always for this. Uh, This is an issue that uh, is not going away anytime soon, and I think it's time that some of the other people on council and some of the other residents spoke up about this too, but I appreciate you coming on today. Well, thanks for giving me the opportunity to air and and let the public know what what transpired on this, and uh, I'm sure I'll be back on your show in the future talking about how we're going to fix it. You bet. Thanks again, Lloyd. Lloyd Ferguson, the Ancaster Counselor. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. With an election coming up here, a federal election coming up, and uh, so much, uh, well, tumultuous activity happening on uh, global markets these days, uh, as we found out, things like tariffs can have an impact on our local economy, certainly with the steel industries and related industries, and that can mean jobs, and uh, that's always going to be important. And international trade, uh, and again, uh, because of what we have here with uh, one of the busiest ports in the Great Lakes, International trade, very important. So we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about both elements of that uh, for the next little while. And I want to start off with uh, those tariffs that we've just referenced uh, because they've been in place for quite some time. And uh, just a couple of days ago, of course, we had uh, Innovation Minister uh, Navdeep Baines on the program. He was in town to make an announcement about funding for the steel industry to help them get through this uh, storm of tariffs that uh, have been imposed by Donald Trump. Well, yesterday... U.S. Trade Representative uh, Robert Lighthizer, remember him from the NAFTA negotiations? Uh, he was in, Senate, in front of the uh, U.S. Senate Finance Committee in Washington, D.C., uh, says that he is working on a plan that lifts the steel and aluminum tariffs off Mexico and Canadian products. Hey, that sounds great, huh? But he says we want to preserve the gains of those tariffs overall. Uh, I'm not quite sure what that means or just how... Uh, anxious we should be about getting an imminent solution to this. Let's uh, ask Marvin Ryder about this, business professor at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. Hey, Marvin, how are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you, Bill. Can I can I just ever so slightly take you off topic for a half a second? Yeah, yeah. The last time we chatted, which was on Monday, we were talking about Brexit, and I just thought quickly we'd give people a little scorecard to keep track of that folder. Then we'll get to the tariffs. Sure. Uh, yesterday, a big vote was held in the British Parliament. The uh, politicians there rejected Theresa, Pla- uh, Theresa May's uh, exit strategy. That's not a surprise, although the margin of defeat was smaller than she experienced in January. So that deal is off the table. Today, 
at around 7 o'clock tonight, our time, which would be 1 in the morning uh, or midnight British time, uh, they're going to vote on uh, committing to that March 29th deadline and leaving whether they have a deal or not. Uh, that would be very interesting. If they vote to affirm they're leaving with no deal, you expect tomorrow to be a very panicky day in the stock markets. I think that's also going to be voted down. And so then if you don't like her plan and you don't want to leave without a plan, what are they going to vote on tomorrow, Thursday? I think it's possible they'll either vote on an extension to the exit strategy or maybe even holding another referendum. So this story continues to evolve. Yeah, and good luck trying to predict what they might do. Exactly. Yeah, that's the way it goes. All right, in other news, as they say, uh, <laughs> the, the segue, let, let's talk about the tariffs on this side of the border, right. and, and, and which, by the way, are not totally unrelated. No. Uh, because international trade is, is, is obviously the overall picture here. And right. uh, that was negatively impacted and seriously impacted, of course, by Trump's imposition of the steel and aluminum tariffs right. on Canada and Mexico. So what do you make of Mr. Lighthizer's comment here that uh, we, we're sort of working on a deal, but we want to preserve the gains? In other words, we want to have our cake and eat it, too. <laughs> yes, exactly. So again, put in a little greater context, over the last month, you've heard the Mexican people say, we will not approve this new USMCA agreement if those tariffs are still in place. You've heard Canadian uh, uh, political representatives say, we are unlikely, unlikely to approve the deal as long as those tariffs are in place, and so certainly we're going to go slow on the file. We then heard, um, oh gosh, the economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, uh, he came and said, well, we're working on something. And then yesterday, Robert Lighthizer shows up in the Finance Committee and also says they're working on something. Now, you and I have talked about this and said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Donald Trump imposed these tariffs in the name of national security. He invoked something known as Clause 232, and he signed a presidential order. If they want to remove them, just sign another presidential order. What do you mean you're working on this? Well, let me see if I can just uh, read between his lines. They believe, they meaning the Trump administration, believe that these tariffs on global steel and aluminum, not just Canada and Mexico, but global steel and aluminum, have paid some dividends, that both industries are healthier. On the other hand, they understand the sentiment. So how can they get rid of the tariffs and yet still keep the benefits? Translation, Bill, this is what I think they're working on. They want Canada and Mexico, or they will want Canada and Mexico, to agree to a quota system. Now, you might remember when we signed the free trade deal with the United States, we had a side agreement on a quota deal around automobiles. And in that deal, we said uh, we will agree to a maximum number of automobiles made in Canada and shipped into the United States. And the number that was chosen was well above current volumes. So it allowed the Canadian auto industry, if it could, to grow and produce more automobiles and sell it before we'd hit in that upper bound. So it really, in a way, isn't a constraint today and won't be a constraint for many, many years into the future. If it's that kind of a quota system, even though the Trudeau government has said we don't really want to talk quotas, but if it works the same way, in other words, the volume of steel and aluminum that Canada could send to the United States is above historic levels and by quite a bit allowing growth, that may be what something we'd be prepared to sign at least, say, over a three- or five-year time period to make these tariffs go away. And that's the deal that I think Mr. Lighthizer is trying to put together. Can he come up with numbers that both the Mexican and the Canadian governments would agree to? And if we could agree to those quotas, he would then make, or Donald Trump would then make, those tariffs go away. And that's why I think it's also possible 
all of this could be done by the end of this month. It isn't actually such a tricky thing to come up with a number, and it isn't such a tricky thing to make things go away. I, I think it's possible, but we'll just see what the temperament of those governments are. Well, the, and it's going to serve two purposes. I mean, obviously, it'll relieve the tariffs. The other one is it, it gets him off the hook, because I mean, if he just says, you know what, this isn't working, uh, and it's not, by the way, uh, then, you know, it looks like he's made a mistake. And Trump, of course, will never admit that he's made a mistake. So <laughs> he can you, he can use a side door exit here and say, no, no, but we got quotas instead because we think they're going to work even better. Well, and he can also say, so let's take a different example than Canada and Mexico. I'm Germany, and I produce steel, and hey, I thought I was an ally of yours. What are you doing this to me? So it also gives him a vehicle that he could use with some other nations in the world to say, well, look, we can make those tariffs go away for you if you'd agree to some sort of a quota system uh, on the next three to five years. So he, he could actually find a way then to win back some of the allies that he's really ticked off over the last year. Um, it, it's a, it would be a clever mechanism. Now, of course, remember, this is Mr. Lighthizer's idea. He has to sell it to the boss. <laughs> Much like it's Mr. Kudlow's idea, he has to sell it to the boss. I don't know what Donald Trump's moods are over the course of a day or even from day to day. You've got to get him at the right moment, maybe a weak moment or something. Uh, he's also learned, by the way, invoking these emergency clauses isn't going to work much more. Even the Senate now, and this is a Republican-controlled Senate in the, in the United States, is about to come at him on the wall. Remember, he declared an emergency to get the wall built, and they're going to say there is no emergency. This may be another reason why they're looking for something, because that 232 provision only works if there's some national security emergency. But if they can move it to tariffs, and he's not invoking that clause, there's nothing for anyone to turn over. All of this actually makes an awful lot of sense if I was the Trump administration. Well, as we also know that Donald Trump usually makes policy based on the last person he talked to. I mean, uh, the, the reason these tariffs are here in the first place, as uh, we found out from some of the people that were present, uh, was this is basically something Wilbur Ross whispered to him in a year just after he had a meeting with steel executives. And he said, yeah, that's a good idea. And all of a sudden, bingo, it was done. Uh, so we're not sure. I guess it's going to depend on exactly how much influence Mr. Lighthizer has. But let me, let me go back to your situation here about, about quotas. Uh, because that that can be a dangerous situation as well. Now the auto sector stuff, I think you and I talked about at the time, is is comfortable for us. I mean, it is. Uh, because we're probably never going to attain those goals. I'm mean, twenty years ago, fine, but the car sales are down right across North America. So the chances that we're actually going to meet that quarter, you know, maybe even exceed it, are pretty slim. Right. Steel's a different situation, though, isn't it, Marvin? Because, I mean, we're looking to increase productivity here. And I know that we'd like to get back into some of those U.S. markets that we were shut out from. And there are some, as I found out, uh, I think it was you that told me, there are some kinds of steel that are produced here in Canada that the U.S. doesn't do, not to the same volume, and they still need that Canadian steel. So I, I think we have to be cautious about what that number is going to be if there's going to be a quota. Right. So, or to say it a little differently than you said, I, I'm not cautious about the number, but we've got to find the right number. We've got to find a number that allows Canadian companies to grow and prosper and thrive, uh, and yet a number that the Americans can live with. I think that number exists, just like I think we found it for the car sector. I think that number exists. Now, do you define it uh, overall, or do you break it into components so you can bring so much of this kind of steel and so much of this kind of steel and so much of this, or so much of this kind of aluminum, that kind of aluminum, what have you? I bet that's what some of the negotiations are about. Is it simply an overall number? You know, you can bring 50 million tons of steel a year, or do you break it down by category? And I think that's what, what they're trying to work out as they go forward. But I think a number does exist, and... and uh, uh, Bill, the one thing that we've still got going for us that hasn't changed over the last year and a half is that weak Canadian dollar trading around 75 cents U.S. 
we make a really good product, a product that American companies can really, really rely on, and at least for the moment, because of the low dollar, they can buy it fairly economically if they didn't have to pay tariffs on it. That's why we want those tariffs to go away. And much of that business would would come back, and it would come back very, very quickly. So uh, to the earlier announcement this week of the $100 million to support companies, they don't actually have $100 million worth of projects that they want to throw the money at. Basically, they've set aside some funds. Those funds might never be needed if they can make those tariffs go away in the next week or two. It might become more of a PR thing that says, look, we were prepared to support you, but we now got the best support of all by making the tariffs go away. And, and so if you don't need the money, well, we'll just take it back and put it in our coffers. That could also happen. I was reading a couple of different stories about Lighthizer's uh, testimony before this committee. Uh, and the one that seemed to be the most uh, detailed was from Reuters. But they still didn't explain why he was there in the first place. I mean, is there a mood in the Senate right now to get rid of these things? Because I know that protectionism reigns supreme, in, in, and not just in the Senate, but also in the House of Representatives down there. Yeah. So the Finance Committee uh, holds hearings on a number of different things. And I believe the primary reason why Mr. Lighthizer there was there to really talk about trade with China. Uh, you might remember that uh, there was a deadline, that actually was last Friday, for the America and China to sort out some of their trade disputes or else new tariffs might be imposed. Mr. Lighthizer has now been working very, very hard on that file. And I think he was primarily there to give them some kind of an update on, on the China file and those kinds of things. But then once you finish your your prepared testimony and you throw it open to questions, the senators can ask whatever's on their mind. And there are a lot of senators uh, and a lot of people in the House of Representatives who are quite concerned about the tariffs that have been imposed on Canada and Mexico. They have said themselves they don't really want to support a free trade agreement if these kinds of things exist. And, and there is a certain backbone that has begun to develop in both the Senate and the House to challenge Trump on many of his uh, claims and, and predictions. So I think uh, once, he, once he'd finished his sworn testimony, questions came up, he had to answer whatever was there. I don't get the impression that this was a large part of the hearing or a large part of the testimony, uh, that it was really about some other things, but he had to answer them, and that's why we got cheered when he did talk about something that affects us. So I report on uh, MSNBC, I think it was the other day when they were talking about this, uh, Ali Velshi was on there, who's obviously a Canadian, so he gets both sides of the story. Right. Uh, but he was suggesting about the, the Canadian you know, retaliatory tariffs uh, and about how they are having an impact down there. So it's not just the, the border states that, that have an interest in, in getting rid of these tariffs. Uh, he mentioned even, for instance, in Tennessee, uh, where you know we put a, a tariff on, on bourbon, on Tennessee bourbon, Tennessee whiskey, and apparently that industry has suffered as a result of this. And, and it, so he says those people, you'd think they're unlikely participants in this, but they're saying get rid of these things because we don't want this happening anymore. Yeah, so I, I understand, Bill, that w- as we talk today, there are people listening to us who are no fan of, of Justin Trudeau or his government. They can hardly wait to maybe kick him out of office. But there was something very clever with our retaliatory tariffs. While Trump proposed them strictly on aluminum and steel, we came up with the same dollar value of tariffs, but we were much more strategic about what we put them on. For instance, we put them on Vermont maple syrup, because we had Canadian maple syrup. We put them on Tennessee whiskey. We didn't necessarily put them on U.S. steel and aluminum. We put them on things that we thought were going to hurt the United States economy in some way to give them some pain, and that is paying off. Now, remember, those tariffs only materialized a little less than a year ago. I think it's only been 10 months. So 
it's taken a little while for all of that pain to go through the system. But now we're getting more allies to the cause. And I just think it's wonderful that we, we were very, very clever. Give credit to the Trudeau administration, Christia Freeland specifically. You know, when they did the retaliatory tariffs and they waited, they actually didn't do it immediately. They took three weeks and studied. They were very surgical with what they did, and they have actually wounded the American economy. I think that's brilliant, and, and I give them all great credit. I realize that's not something people want to hear maybe in an election year where they want to jump on a negative bandwagon, but I think we've been very, very clever in our negotiations with this giant that we have to deal with, and that's the United States. All right, so with all that we've just said here and with uh, Mr. Lighthizer's uh, comments, I guess we should say, to the Senate committee, right. is it fair to say that there is a light at the end of the tunnel? <laughs> yes, or a lighthizer at the end of the tunnel. Okay, uh, that... I'll, I'll just I'll just set you up, Marvin. You throw them out there. Okay? I will. Yeah, yeah. I think the answer is yes. I, now I was a little worried when Larry Kudlow made his comments and thought, well, really, how much weight does Larry Kudlow carry? I, he's a television personality who Donald Trump hired because he speaks the same language as Trump. But I don't know if, if I would take that to the bank. But Lighthizer is very much in the inner circle. You mentioned Wilbur Ross. When you start hearing those people talking about removing the tariffs in favor of something else and sooner rather than later. I, that carries an awful lot of weight for me. Uh, and so, again, I think uh, if I'm Mr. Trudeau and if I'm Ms. Freeland, I'll take those phone calls. I'll have those discussions. And, and if I even have to hold my nose a little bit in terms of this quota system and come up with a number, if it can really free up Canadian business and get everything back to the way it was before, I'm open to it. And I, and I think it's quite possible that by the end of this month, March, and I realize that that we're not quite at, uh, at uh, St. Patrick's Day, but basically we got two and a half weeks left. I think it could all be done, but the reason is that it's not really Canada or Mexico that are holding this up. It really is very much the Americans, and they finally have got the got the message. Marvin Ryder at the DeGroote School of Business. Thanks, Marvin. Now we'll hold you to that, okay? Okay, we'll watch carefully. <laughs> Talk soon. Bye bye now. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.